encouraging these Jewish converts that what they have in Christ is better than all they had before and they could ever want. Nothing they could ever want is better than Jesus. He's telling them to run, but not to just run, but to run with endurance, with perseverance. And the question we ask is, how? How do we run with perseverance? How do we endure? And I think Hebrews 12, 1-3 gives us some very sobering words to consider this morning so that we might persevere in this life of faith. For those of us who are tired, worn out, distracted, and discouraged to follow Jesus, I want us to hear this. If you don't hear anything, I want you to hear this. Persevere in this race to the end in Christ. Persevere, endure to the end in Christ. There are moments in life where God's word feels so near and so, and so needed and close. Um, this text for me has been that even these past few days. It has been very near to me. And I pray that it is for you as well this morning as we consider it together. Let's pray. God, we come to you as a people who are often weary. Our strength fades Our passion becomes dispassion. Our desires are no longer as strong. Our eyes are often distracted. We we run off the course. And so this morning, I, I do pray that you would, one, cause us to realize that there is a race to be run. And for those of us who are on that race, that you would call us to be strengthened by what your word tells us this morning. And that you would cause people to look to Jesus this morning. Cause my heart, cause our hearts to be able to look to Jesus this morning. We need your help. Spirit, won't you work in our hearts, illuminate the text before us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, So as we approach this text this morning, um, I want us to consider three things that it shows us. Uh, The first, remembering the witnesses of faith. The scriptures, they're they're full of imagery. There's a lot of stories and analogies and parallels that it draws for us to be able to understand what it's talking about. The New Testament especially uses imagery a lot and likens the Christian life to things like farming or being a soldier or even, even boxing. There's a lot of images for us to see. In our text today, the writer speaks of the Christian life, the Christian journey. He likens that to a race. And so we read the opening sentence of Hebrews 12.1, and it says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So as it's setting the scene for us, we can almost imagine that we're at an arena Right? We're in an arena and there is this great crowd of people. A race is about to happen. These witnesses in the stands, this great cloud of witnesses in the stands. And they're looking to us, the runners. Right? They're cheering us on. They're for us. Uh, but here's the thing. They're not, they're not just witnesses. These witnesses aren't just they're cheering because they see something in us. As if we, we have the strength and ability to be able to run this race. Instead, they're there because of what we have seen of them. 
Right, what do we mean? How, do they, how they have endured? Like, what does it look like? What, what have their lives looked like? How have they endured the Christian life and preserved and persevered in faith? Right, who is this cloud of witnesses? Uh, the first word of this passage, therefore, gives us a clue to look back at chapter 11. Right? And chapter 11 has these, these studs of the faith, these men and women who were big hitters in the Old Testament. Right? It says in verse 33 that they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. I mean, there's some major epic stuff happening here. Uh, but I don't think it's just the flashy, legendary stories of men and women that we're called to look at. Because chapter 11 also recalls the darker, deeper valleys and the realities of those who endured great pain and strife. It wasn't just these Hollywood moment scenes. right? Because if you go a little further down in, in verse 35, what does it say? It says that some were tortured. Right? Others mocked and flogged put in chains and imprisoned. They were sawn in two. They were stoned. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. I mean, if, if the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage these Jewish Christians to endure, this wouldn't be the route I would take. Right? This, is, this is a messed up bunch of folks that, that have endured suffering. They have no home. There is great cost. And yet the writer of Hebrews finds it fitting to remind them of this. Because what's he trying to say? The writer of Hebrews is saying to them and he's saying to us that by their witness, right, by what they have endured since they have persevered, we can too. Right? Since they have gone through the fires of life, the deep valleys of the shadows of life, we can do that too. Right? And if we're tempted to think that these biblical characters had some untouchable godliness that kept them from slipping or sinning or doubting or being confused, we would be wrong because who were some of these people? Right? What, what are some of the stories of this, this hall of faith that we see in chapter 11. Right? Abraham was a liar. Right? Samson had lust in his heart. Moses lashes out in anger. David, as we heard Benu speak last week, commits adultery and then tries to cover it up with murder. Right? Sarah doubted. Gideon had great fear. Right? This is no impressive bunch of godly, sinless people. And because they are unimpressive, this is really good news for us. Because we know each other, right? We are an unimpressive bunch of people here. We have weaknesses. We have sins and struggles. Because they are unimpressive, it's good news. Why? Because we are too. Because they've endured in their sin, in their struggle, in their suffering means that we can too. I'd imagine that these words are deeply consoling for these Jewish Christians. 
right? Because they've been persecuted. These very readers of Hebrews, they've been persecuted. They've been mocked for their faith, right? They've been excluded from society. There is no light in their darkness. There is no hope in their despair. No fight left in them. They can't go the distance or even finish the next lap. What encouragement could they receive? What encouragement could we receive in our dark days of following Jesus? As I heard one preacher this week say, imagine again that, that image of an arena. Right? A race is happening and we are the runners. We're in that race running this grueling race of faith. Our feet stumbling. Thirsty for water, falling to the ground. Our spirits and our hearts discouraged because the race is just too difficult. Blood, sweat, and tears pouring from our wrecked bodies. But then, what do you hear? Right, you hear this resounding roar from the stands. Right, you, you hear a rumbling and you lift your head to see this great crowd of people screaming to you, go on, keep moving, keep going. But these people, they're not, they're not just spectators, right? They're not just people, they're not just fans. They have run the race too, and they've endured till the end. And why are they telling you to strengthen your legs, right, to lift your head to keep going? What do these finishers of the race know? What do they know that you don't know? They have come to realize at the end of the race that the glory of Jesus is greater than anything we could ever imagine. And it pales in comparison to the beauty, the, 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 the wonderfulness of knowing and having Jesus They've realized that the treasure of Christ is so much greater, that the eternal delight and pleasure of the Savior is worth every step, every drop of blood, every circumstance that makes life hard, that continuing the race is worth it for what waits at the finish line pales in comparison to this temporal life that we are living. And so they tell us, keep on trusting, keep running, endure, persevere, Second thing I want us to consider is what running the race of faith actually looks like. Right? Running the race of faith. Hebrews 12.1 goes on to tell us, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Right? This, this race is not just a 100-yard dash sprint where you're just right off the bat going full speed. It's, it's not that. Uh, this type of race is the, the long trek, the cross-country, patient, enduring run. The word race in the original Greek comes from the word agon. You, you can hear from that word the word agony. Right? This, this thing is grueling. It is hard. It's not an easy race. And any preacher or book that you hear that tells you life should be easy as a Christian or worry-free is preaching a false gospel. Because we know from our own experience that the life of a Christian often looks like one that is trudging through the thick and muddy waters of sorrow, 
of pain, of sin, of confusion, of loss, of despair. That's the reality of, of what we face. Right, last year, my wife and a few friends decided to do the Tough Mudder race. Many of you have even done that race. And so it's, it's a 12-mile long uh, race with about 20 or 30 obstacles, military-style obstacles in between. I think, I don't know if we have a picture. That's, that's the aftermath. That's mud all over my face, completely dried up. And my, my wife, for some reason, is completely clean. I'm not sure that she actually ran the race. But you look at that, and we, we, were, we were really wrestling to get to the end, right? We got thrown into ice water, right, from, from hot to cold, and then you're just, your body feels terrible. We, we scaled 12-foot walls. We trudged through muddy hills, ran through electrical wires. And we paid to do this, right? <laughs> and, and it was awesome. It really was. But by mile 10, right, you just wanted to stop and, and give up. There was a point where all of us just fell on the, on the blacktop, and we were just trying to gain some cool from the blacktop. It was, it was exhausting. It was long. It was arduous. It tested our commitment to finish. That's what the Christian life feels like at times. Right, long, arduous, you're wondering why you're doing this. The race of faith isn't a shotgun, one-time commitment to this thing and you're done kind of a race. Right? No, it's the bloody knees, the bruised body, dehydrated, why did I ever commit to this kind of a race? Right? It takes the life out of you. It, not just your body, but, but your soul, your, your heart, your mind. During the time when this letter of Hebrews was penned, uh, the readers were well aware of what a race looked like at those times, for the Olympics at those times. Right? What was the goal of the runner? Right? To be sleek, to be lean, to have no excess, nothing holding them back or weighing them down. A and so what do they do? They took everything off. Right? They completely in the nude would race. Right? Because they, they wanted nothing holding them back, to run freely without impediment. This is what the passage is telling us. Anything that keeps us from moving forward in this life, Hebrews tells us, lay it down. Remove it. It's not worth it. It's only going to keep you from running to the end with endurance. Right? It reminds me, if you grew up in Philly, uh, we love accessorizing on the basketball court. And so I remember growing up in Philly, we would be on the basketball court, and there was always that one guy who would come in on the court with fresh short shorts, right, the newest Sixers jersey, right, sneakers that weighed 20 pounds, all blinged up. He had a headband on. He had multiple armbands. They even started making finger bands, and he had one on every finger, right, long, high socks. Right, they just loved accessorizing on the court. And everyone's like, dude, we're just playing horse. We're not even playing a game. Like, why are you all dressed up for this? Right? You don't need all that. It's going to weigh you down, man. Right? He's trying to compete in this game, and he can't even take a jump shot because he can't lift off the ground because of all this weight. This verse tells us to remove those things that keep you down, that don't help you run, that are just excess and needless, that distract you, that keep you away from the prize. This verse tells us that we are to lay aside every weight and sin. Right? It says weight and sin. 
I think what the writer has in mind with these two words, weight and sin, is that there are explicit sins, right? Sins that weigh you down, things that you know are not right. Don't do it. But there are also weights in your life that are not a sin for everyone, but it might be for you because it keeps you from running the race well. Right? Things that are not inherently bad or sinful things. In fact, things that are good, perhaps, but have taken you off the course. What's an example? What are a couple of examples of what this might be for us? Right? We, we hope to, at Seven Mile Road, preach the gospel, preach the gospel of truth and of grace, but we want to be, be well aware of what the, what the scriptures call us to, to pursue holiness, to run this race well. Right, what's an example of some weights that could become sins for us? Some of us, in all honesty, in all honesty, shouldn't drink alcohol. Right? It has a hold on us that weighs us down, that keeps us from running well. Right? Some of us need to really check how we're spending our money. Right? Trying to fill our lives with more and more stuff, indulging in our need for material things. Some of us shouldn't be on the internet at home late at night right? because one click leads to the next and we start to explore all the filth that's on the internet. Some of us are so about our careers that we trample on everyone, including perhaps our own families, so that we might make it. Right? Some of us are so concerned about our families right, that we pursue comfort, we pursue security above all things without ever risking for the sake of the gospel. Weights can be sin when they get us off track from pressing forward with endurance. Just because we've come to know Jesus, just because we have a knowledge of Jesus, does, that, does not mean that we're immune from sin or from drifting off course. Sin is real. It is very present. It is near. It can distract us. It can destroy us. And we must lay every weight in sin that clings so closely so we might run without its weight, pulling us down to the pavement. Whatever cuts us off from Christ, whatever makes Jesus not seem like he's enough, whatever makes Jesus feel unreal or unrewarding, we've got to get rid of that as if he is not enough, whatever gets our attention more than Jesus. Many of us know what it's like to keep one foot in the door of the world. Right? The beauty of what the world promises us is, is very attractive. It's very attractive to me. Right? For these Jewish Christians, turning away from Jesus meant that they would be accepted by society. Right? Abandonment of faith means acceptance from the world. And that's often our story. Right? It meant that they would no longer be harmed or beaten. Right? The rewards of following Jesus seemed far better than following Jesus in the present moment. In Seven Mile Road, it would be far easier for us to give up in this world and abandon Jesus altogether in moments of doubt and despair. It would be easy to run off the race, run off the course, and follow another way. Because what does Jesus require? Right? When, when people came to him, wanting to follow him, what did he say? He said, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. 
Right? He didn't say, live the way you've always lived. You can follow me as you are. No. He says, take up your cross. Deny yourself. Deny your desires. To another, he says, sell all that you possess. Give to the poor. Then you come follow me. What Jesus calls us to is not a, a cushy, sit back and relax. You don't have to struggle or sacrifice in this life kind of a Christianity. Another preacher I heard this week retold the story of when he went over to Nairobi to assist missionaries there. He noticed that these missionaries had these private planes that they would travel to different parts of the country and to, to deliver medical supplies and to, and to be an aid to them. And so on the outside, when he saw these planes, they looked like any other small plane, right? But as he walked inside, what he noticed was these planes, all the seats were ripped out, right? Even some of the metal were, was ripped out, padding, even the cockpit, the dashboard, all the, all the nice fixings were pulled out. And so this, this preacher was wondering, why, why would they do this to such a nice plane? And so the missionaries responded, listen, it's because every unneeded ounce of weight that is removed is an ounce of food or medical supply that we can bring on the plane to give out. Right? That, was their, that was their goal. That was their mission. That was their finish line, to be able to provide for these people. And so what that meant is that they sat in discomfort on these turbulent flights across the country. Right? They took off and laid aside every weight, literally every weight that kept them from accomplishing their mission. Right? These, these missionaries weren't packing planes full of stuff so that they were content. They, they stripped down the plane so they weren't weighed down. And so with our lives. Right? When runners go on a race, they're not thinking, how much can I keep on me? How much can I keep with me? How much can I retain? Do I have to give this up? Do I have to really deny myself and sacrifice? And instead, the, call, the, the thought is this. I'm a runner. I need to finish the course. Everything that's keeping me from getting to the finish line must come off, or I'm not going to make it. What's, what's weighing us down today? What's clinging closely to you? What distracts you? I think for some of us, it's not even that it's just hard to endure. The question is even a more preliminary one. Is it worth it to endure? Because life with Jesus demands a lot of us. Or frankly, because we have a lot of doubts and concerns and struggles in our own hearts at, at the at the usefulness or the worth of this whole thing. Right? Hear me, in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your weak faith, can I encourage you to put forth every effort to endure the race till the end? Don't hear these words. Don't hear words like sacrifice and deny and put it on the back burner and say, maybe tomorrow. Right? Hear these words. Christian life is not easy. There is an enduring nature to it that we deny ourselves daily to. But how can we have strength to do this? Runners in a race keep their eyes fixed on the goal which the, to which they are running. And verse 1 tells us what to stay away from to endure, right? What to get rid of. That's what verse 1 tells us. Verse 2 tells us in the positive what to look towards so that we might endure. 
brings us to the third thing I want us to consider. Looking to the founder and perfecter of our faith. What does verse 2 say? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Our hope this morning is not in ourselves. Our hope to finish is not in ourselves, but it is in Jesus. Our hope in this race is in Jesus from the starting line, right? As soon as you begin that race to the finish line, right? He's the founder at the, at the starting point and he is the perfecter at the end, right? He is who we are banking on. He's not just an example for us, but he is the very fount from which all of our energy all of our hope finds its breath and life. Right? The Christian life, or Jesus, it's not just, hey, look at Jesus. You can do that too because he's done it. It's not just that. He's not just a mere role model for us. Right? We should follow the example of Christ. Yes, but we know it's impossible. Right? We know that task is impossible. But the hope of the gospel is this. That because Christ has already run the race, enduring the cross, despising the shame of this world, because he ran, he can sustain us to the end in the race, no matter what we may face in the world. And that's, that's really good news for us to hear this morning. Because Christ has overcome and finished the race, we don't need to grow weary or drop off because he's already won. And so for the Christian the race is not one to accomplish salvation. For the Christian, it's one in which we strive to persevere in Christ till the end. Right, I'll be honest with you. This week was a really difficult week for me. Right, even getting to this point of writing the sermon, my heart was wrenching, my heart was troubled, my mind confused. I, I struggled to find joy. Circumstances arose and I, I felt defeated. Right? And so it was a very hard week for me. Sometimes in moments like this, when, when we are walking through difficulty and surprise and, and confusion, sometimes we need to be reminded of what's true. Right? Our, our vision can often get clouded. Right? Everything around us tells us it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. It would be far easier to get off course, it's not worth it. But we, we need to be reminded often of what is true and what is lasting and who our God is. Another Philly reference. If you watched the Eagles game yesterday, preseason game against the Packers, um, we killed them. We absolutely destroyed them. It was, it was, I came home at 2 o'clock in the morning, had been to DVR the recording, so I watched the first quarter just to see the highlights. It was a wonderful game, right? Sproles had a, a wonderful run. Bradford had 10 out of 10 or something crazy like that. He was, he was on fire. The Eagles are going to do it this year, guys. They're going to do it. Just like the past 20 years. But who's the mad scientist behind all this, right? Who's the, who's the genius behind what the Eagles are trying to do right now? Chip Kelly, right? Chip, he, he's the man. And what we started to learn about Chip is that he is laser-focused, right? You watch him in a press conference. He hears a question he doesn't want to answer. 
He'll completely ignore you. He, he has a vision. He has a goal. He is so focused and in tune with football, right? Chip lives and breathes football. Right? His whole life is about football. He dreams pigskin and he dreams in green, right? Everything about him, everything that he breathes is football, right? He watches plays. He reviews film, right? You know that this guy loves and is passionate and is focused on football. Everything about Chip is about football, right? There is something to the kind of level of commitment from athletes and runners and contestants and coaches to their tasks, to what they're trying to do, right? To constantly, when you wake up, when you sleep, to be thinking about it, to review it, to learn it, to learn from it, to be reminded over and over about what they are striving towards. This passage today is a good reminder for us to constantly remember, to remember what our reward is, right? To remember who Jesus is, what he's done. We will stumble, we will fall, we will grow weary. Christ will preserve us, dear brothers and sisters, if we trust in him, right? We, we often say we, we can't measure up. I've had conversations with, with people like, there is, there's no way I can measure up to all that the scriptures tell us. And I want to say amen to that. There is no way, but we persevere in Christ for he has measured up. He's finished the race. We endure because we place our faith in Christ and we don't bank on anything else. Right? Not ourselves, not our wealth, not our works, not our reputation or our status. Right? Even the cloud of witnesses, they can, they can spur us on and encourage us. Right? But it's only when we look to Jesus that we will endure in this life. Right? Jesus, he's not just one of the spectators in this, in this crowd. He's not just an example for our faith. He's not just even just our source and sustainment for faith. But, but who is Jesus? He is the object of our faith. Right? He's the one, when we start the race, he's at the finish line. Right? He is our reward. He's the one to whom we are running. Our prize, our treasure, our reward. Verse 3 of Hebrews 12 almost assumes, right, in this race towards Jesus, that the Christian life is one that grows weary and discouraged. He assumes this. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Right? Jesus standing at the end of the finish line knew that your race was going to be hard. Right? It wasn't a surprise to him. It's not to us. And what has he done? For the sake of us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured. He hung on a cross. He ran alone. We run together. We have each other. He ran alone. Right? It, was, it was bloody. It was painful for him. He endured the cross. He asked the Father to take the cup away from him, and yet he endured. Why? Because the end of verse 2 again tells us that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? Beyond the, beyond the shame, beyond the cross, Beyond death itself, Christ Jesus knew that there was life beyond this earthly one. There was a crown behind the cross. That there exists a reality which death itself could not defeat. And if we are in Christ this morning, that reality, that life awaits us as well. 
Tadamal wrote, I want us to know that sometimes uh, the race does get hard and we will be tempted to give up. Perhaps you're even there this morning or you've been there, you'll be there. This morning, are you tempted to give up in the race? Have you grown spiritually weak or dull or apathetic? Have you forgotten the faithfulness of the Lord? Have you lost sight of the reward that awaits you? Does pain and difficulty keep you from running? Are you tired and in need of encouragement? Has the allure of things and material so distracted you that you've run off course? Be encouraged by those who have gone before us and have finished the race. See them in the stands telling us to continue, to persevere. For they have tasted the beauty of their reward in Christ. But again, what we want to say more than that, more than even looking to each other, consider where your eyes are fixed for hope this morning. If it's on anything other than Jesus, look to Jesus. We know that we should flee from sin. Right? Those are sort of the obvious ones. But what do we do about the good things that hold us down? Perhaps that's the question in your mind. What do we do about the good things, the weights that keep us down and cause us to stumble and sin? Right? Do we not focus on our family? Right? Do we not pursue careers? Do we not want and desire and have good things? Right? My question to you is, is simply this. Do our decisions, right, day by day, how we think through life, the decisions we make in life, do our decisions ever have a thought about Jesus, his kingdom, his mission, the greater story of redemption for us and for the world? Or is it only about our benefit, right? Our tribe, our family, our comfort, where we're getting to in the world, in this temporal world. Christians, our hope and our purpose in life is not that that which the world tells us is successful is what we count as success. While it's tempting to put all of our hope in this life, remember that Christ has for us an internal inheritance that will never pass away or fade. We live in the world, but we're not of this world. What is our purpose in life? Is it riches? Is it status? Is it comfort and leisure? I hope like it has been for me, that it would be freeing for us to hear that victory for us, success for us, is not in how we accumulate things or success on this earth as the world, world would tell us success is like. For us, for the Christian, for those who place their hope in Christ, it is enduring in Christ, persevering to the end. That is victory. That is success. How do we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? How do we stay on track Spur one another on to godliness. Remind each other of what is right and what is true to fix our eyes on Jesus and not on the things of this world. Right? Don't neglect your time of prayer and reading God's word. Right? As I've been in this text this week, my heart, though troubled, is encouraged right? because it reminded me of what's right and what's true of myself, of God, of the world. Don't neglect your time with the Lord. Read Pray, ask for help. Right, take stock of your life. Consider where you are stumbling. Consider what your life looks like in this moment. Where are you distracted? What sins hold you down? And if you don't know Jesus this morning, 
Can I urge you to look to him if you've never looked at him before? Find life, find truth, find hope and joy. It's not an easy life of the Christian, but it is one with great hope, a sure hope. Um, I want to read one passage before we close. Before, before I read that, my, my grandfather passed away years ago in 89. I, I didn't know him long, but he was, he was a flawed man, yet he loved the Lord. He, he worked in the vineyard of the Lord and served him. I remember on his tombstone, even when I go back to India now, on his, on his tombstone is engraved these words from Scripture from a man named Paul in the New Testament. It says this, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Right? May this be our hope, too. Right? That at the end of our life, we could say, I fought the good fight. Right? I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Persevere in Christ to the end, brothers, sisters. And as we close, hear these words from Philippians, from Paul. Philippians chapter 3, 8 to 14. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that what I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Seven Mile Road, persevere in Christ. Let's pray.